This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the National Wildlife Federation Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Youngbeck. Like last episode, I would like to apologize in advance for the possibly tinny sound you may be hearing. Like much of the country, our staff is working from home right now, which means I'm recording these podcasts in my garage, which is not the most acoustically friendly recording studio in podcast history. Um, but we have a great guest on here today with uh, tons of important, timely information about conservation and conservation funding. And so I think that'll be worth the listen despite maybe some of the acoustic deficiencies. So through the magic of Zoom and re audio recording, I have Jared Fraser, the executive director of 2% for Conservation. I have to say this right up front. I am on the national board of 2% for conservation. Um, just you don't think that there's some hidden bias or anything. We're going to make sure that's very open. Um, but this is the National Wildlife Federation Outdoors podcast. And while I'm on the board, um, Jared is here as a guest, as somebody who knows much more about the organization and can talk about their work. Jared, thank you for coming on the National Wildlife Federation Outdoors podcast. How are you doing? I am doing fairly well, all things considered. Can't complain. Now, I imagine uh, you're working from home like, like lots of folks, uh, keeping the organization 2% for conservation moving. Um, for folks that don't already know, what is 2% for conservation and, and how did it start? So we're a 501c3 nonprofit which is tech speak for a true nonprofit that does not do anything in politics. Um, and what we, what our initial mission was, was to provide a certification for businesses and individuals looking to give 
their time, their money back, however they can, back to fish wildlife conservation and to have it be measurable. To kind of, uh, it's similar to Better Business Bureau is for businesses um, and making sure that people are doing what they're supposed to do. Other accreditation or certifications you might get if let's say you're a guide or something like that. Um, we are like that, but for conservation. So originally we were started out of the offices of Sitka Gear uh, they wanted an internal program uh, for kind of managing with employees and their relationships, kind of keeping themselves accountable to be giving back because they're a soft goods company, meaning they don't make firearms, ammunition, archery equipment, fishing tackle. So they're not taxed by Pittman Robertson, Dingle Johnson, or any of the other types of conservation taxes. So they wanted something internally. And they came around in the Bozeman area here, Bozeman, Montana, and they asked hey, what should we do? We've, we're looking at having a dollars portion. What else should we look at? And they asked different volunteer leaders. I actually happened to be one of the volunteer leaders they asked at the time. I was uh, volunteering with a couple different organizations on boards and committees or just showing up to pick up trash on cleanups or things like that. And something that we all said was, hey, we need a time element. It's one thing when a business or a person writes a check. It's another thing when they show up and they give their time. So what we have for our certification is 1% of gross dollars in, meaning 1% of your income, whether you're a business or individual, and 1% of your time, which for one person is, if you took 40-hour work week, that's 21 hours a year. So for businesses, we have a proper application process. You have to, you know, go there. There are federal regulations for us to be an accrediting org. Uh, that we have to follow here in the U.S. Um, there's proper application with, with documentation and proof. Um, for individuals, it is honor system. Uh, number one, because we don't really want the liability of looking at anyone's personal tax returns, uh, but also we like to have members overseas, and we actually already have members in Europe and South America and all over the place. Um, it's the, it's the kind of org where you cannot buy a membership with us. You have to earn it. So the way it works is uh, when a business comes to us and they say, we want to take on this certification, we say, all right, what are you interested in? What are your employees interested in? Maybe they're already giving back. Maybe they're not. Uh, for a company's first year, we actually kind of hand-holding makes it sound a little froofy, but you know, we, we work with them. So over the course of their first year with us, they don't have to be giving 1% of time and dollars the year prior. We help them over that first year, get that into their company culture, help, help them find organizations that fit the things that they're interested in. Maybe they're really into, maybe they've got employees who are really into walleye fishing or they're really into whitetail hunting or turkey hunting or backpacking or, you know, public land or private land management, different things. We give them kind of a menu of folks, help them get in touch with people. Uh, we have a committee program, which are, are leaders in different areas who are already working in conservation that we get them in touch with. And then over the course of that year, we help them keep track of making sure they're giving at least 1% of dollars and 1% of time, which is 21 hours that they can spread across the entire company. It's not per employee. They can spread across the entire company so that when they give back, it's not a painful thing. They can focus on their business, but be able to do this thing that they really care about. And over our, let's see, we started in 20. 
16, so four years of existence now. Um, we've brought in companies from all over the place and in all like just crazy different types of companies. We have, let's see, right now we have like three different coffee roasters. Uh, we have a piano repair company in Alabama. Uh, Flint Ridge Rifles out of Michigan. Uh, they're they're a member. Um, yep. We've of course got Sitka. Um, I see you wearing a First Light hat. They're a member as well. They're actually one of the first five. Uh, they it, it was it's been really cool to see those two brands, which are abs absolutely competitors in a free market, uh, come together on this to the point that they've even hopped on the same podcast together to talk about how conservation is not a competition. Well, so and, our, and that's a great. Um, that's a great slogan that I, that I know that you've embodied as well, that conservation is not a competition. Um, I just wanted to interject here to, to say that First Light is actually one of the companies that supports the National Wildlife Federation and some of mm -hmm. our work um, to, to conserve wildlife habitat out, out west, particularly for, for wild, wild sheep. Um, and Sitco is a company. I've, I've used both that there and First Light's gear sensibly in my own hunts. Um, so it's, it's great to know that when when I go out, I know I'm at least decked head to toe and 2% for, for conservation yeah. Uh, companies. Yeah, we love when we see pictures of like someone's got a, uh, you know, like maybe a Sitka jacket on, First Light pants on, Stone Glacier backpack, <laughs> a Seek Outside tent, you know, and they're full. There was a, a member of ours, an individual member, who sent a picture and everything on them, because uh, they bought their boots through GoHunt.com, which is certified with us. Uh, the boot company wasn't certified yet, but everything that they were wearing, they were like, I bought exclusively 2% certified brands this year, and they were out on their, on their hunt. It was incredible to see, and it, it lays into our mission, which our, our mission is to ensure the future of hunting and angling by creating this alliance of businesses and individuals that give their time and dollars to fish and wildlife conservation. For a long time, the hunting world in particular, not as much the fishing world because PETA doesn't tend to go after anglers as much, uh, but the hunting world has had to defend itself in many different ways. And that has led to some unfortunate marketing campaigns that equate hunting to conservation as like the conservation all and end all. Uh, and you and I know that's just not the case. Hunting doesn't take care of clean water. It doesn't, you know, the taxes help pay for different things, but it's not enough. If it was enough, National Wildlife Federation would not have been founded in the same, what was it, within the same 12 months as the Pittman-Robertson Act that went into effect? Actually, we, we were both- You were a club beforehand, right? No, no, actually, we were both born out of the same meeting. Um, so in 1936, hmm. uh, Ding Darling, um, who was our founder, he convinced uh, President FDR, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, to call the North American Wildlife Conference because of the wildlife uh, crisis going on at the time. And they called together conservationists and wildlife advocates from all walks of life all over the country. So it was very deliberately not just rod and gun clubs and hunters and anglers, although yep. it was significantly um, lots of hunters and anglers, but it was also garden clubs. It was hiking groups, Audubon uh, clubs, and that kind of thing. And there were two things that they decided at that conference. And it was they needed to create a permanent organization to speak for wildlife, which became us. And we needed to take the existing firearms tax, uh, which had been passed in the 1934 National Firearms Bill. Um, and we needed to direct that to state wildlife agencies 
for wildlife conservation. And so we were formed out of the same meeting and that became the first thing that we did. And when you talk about conservation not being a competition, from the very outset, collaboration was kind of our brand of the yeah. way that we did things. Because we brought together Audubon clubs, garden clubs, we brought them together with firearm and ammunition manufacturers. Um, yep. Savage Arms Remington were, were part of that coalition. Uh, Ducks Unlimited was founded the, the same or the next year. They were part of that coalition. And then um, it was actually one of our uh, Federated Garden Clubs of Illinois that actually put pressure on a Senate committee member to actually shake the Pittman-Robertson Bill loose from committee so it could get passed. And so we, we often talk about how that's something that the hunting community did. It's actually something that the whole wildlife conservation community did yeah. at the same time by working together. And uh, sorry to go off on that historical. No, that's, that's but, but good. It goes, yeah, it goes right to what you're talking about with, you know, yeah. we passed that, you know, back in 1937. And it's that along with hunting licenses, if you're going to go hunt, um, you know, you can say hunting is conservation, but that's through the systems that were set up generations ago. So to right. call an individual a conservationist, just because you do kind of the bare minimum required by law, not sure that makes an individual a, a conservationist, but when you go above and beyond that and you join conservation organizations and support them either with your time or with your money, um, now you now you start to become a conservationist because you're taking yeah. deliberate action beyond the bare minimum legally required by law. And that's what your companies do that, that makes, of course, me want to support them is none of them have to do this. They're going above right. and beyond what's required by law to do what they think is right. Well, like Flint, Flint Ridge rifles. I mean, they're already paying that tax. Yep. Uh, and one thing that we talked about when they were coming on and I didn't even have to say it, he came out and said it first uh, calling yourself a conservationist because you pay an excise tax is like taking a participation trophy, like kind of weak, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and so they give, Walker, he's, uh, he walks the walk. He, um, I've, I've, been, mm. I've been a part of the Michigan chapter of backcountry hunters and anglers individually. Um, and he's been an active, active volunteer for, um, that chapter as well. Um, so even before he got certified for his business as an individual, he's he was already there to hunts yeah. and organizing and volunteered, um, and and he's been putting that time in himself even before he got certified. Yeah, we're finding that with um, you know with the businesses that come on, we'll take we'll take any anyone you know who's who's willing to give their time and dollars. We actually even have middle school kids who on their babysitter business cards have 2% certified. Now they're minors, so we can't say their <laughs> names and we can't put them on our website, you know, with the list of businesses that are certified, yeah. but they have that on there uh, because they saw it as important. So if a, if a teenage kid uh, who they're actually in, the, they're in Indiana, um, if, if they can do that, yeah, really, you know, if it's something you care about, it's something that you'll do. Um, so for businesses, when they get certified with us, there is an annual membership fee, but we keep it similar to the Better Business Bureau. It scales pretty similarly uh, with the amount of sales that a business does. Um, for individual members, it's absolutely free. We want to make sure that if they're paying membership dollars somewhere, they're paying it to an organization that they can plug into and do the work that they're getting certified with us for doing. 
So whether that's them working with something like Scouts or becoming an individual member of NWF, any affiliate of NWF, as long as it's a 501c3 nonprofit organization, it can't be a political action org where their dollars are going to someone's political campaigns. Um, but as long as it's, it's on conservation, uh, outdoor education, we count as well. We see that as very important. If, if people don't know, they won't care. So, oh, pardon my, uh, my griff barking. I don't know if you could hear that. She's, she's a little antsy. She knows turkey. All right. Do- dogs are welcome on the NWF outdoor. <laughs> <laughs> so, if, you know, whether, whether they're given to outdoor education or hunting and angling groups in particular, or not, you know, it could be Audubon. Uh, my wife, when she got 2% certified, which was before, I was hired on, uh, she put down her Audubon membership on there, and that absolutely counts. Um, we want a large group of people, a large coalition of people all working together to try to build this future that we all know needs to happen, but it's only going to happen with action. And you, you can do you know, your time and your dollars. You also have your talents. It's hard to measure talent, um, but time and dollars uh, is, is a bare minimum. So our standard of 1% of time, 1% of dollars, that is meant to be a bare minimum kind of starting point, kind of gate, you know, the gateway drug, uh, people into giving, uh, back to fish and wildlife. Cause once you start and once you start to see the results and you see the changes in habitat and you see the, the actual work being done or the changes in your community or culture around conservation things, it's addicting. And, you know, you stick with it for the rest of your life. And we're more than happy to introduce folks uh, to all different kinds of conservation groups along the way. Now, um, how did you come to 2% for conservation? You mentioned that you had um, helped out with with it kind of early at at the outset. Um, How did you come into the position of executive director and steering the ship? It's a really funny story, actually. Um, So in 2016, when 2% was founded, at that point, I was serving on a couple volunteer boards and and committees, like I said. So I was seeing a lot of the same players in the Bozeman area. Sitka's based out of Bozeman. Randy Newberg's based out of Bozeman. Folks like Jason Matzinger, now Meat Eater is as of the last few years. Um, it's a little bit of an outdoor hub here in the West. And you start to see the same people over and over again. And it was getting to the point that Randy Newberg and I were seeing each other a couple times a week at different events. Well, unbeknownst to me, he's an advisor to the 2% board. Um, And also unbeknownst to me, 2% was looking for its first director. And at the time, uh, my business was design, uh, web design, coding, things like that. Um, I've been working from this home office as long as we've lived here and at our last house, home office as well. Same thing. Um, He calls me up one morning at like 730, which to get a call from Randy in the morning is not abnormal. But 730, you wonder who died. And I answer the phone and he said, where, what are you doing right now? And I'm like, yep, someone died. Um, like, well, I'm actually heading to go sign a new client. And it was one that I didn't want to sign because they were actually, they, they had just shown up at a public forum about a public lands thing on the other side yeah. of the issue. <laughs> and my kids have this weird habit where they like to eat. So I, I thought, you know, if I sign <laughs> these folks, you know, 
A, we'll have money for food, but two, uh, you know, or, or B, you know, I might be able to talk to them more about this issue. And he said, well, cancel that. I need you to drive over to Stone Glacier instead. I said, what's going on over there? And well, Jeff Spazito, who had founded 2%, had left Sitka and had gone over to kind of run Stone Glacier, uh, which is also based here in Bozeman. So I went over there and I thought I might be uh, applying for like a web design job or contracting position. It turns out it was the executive director role. Uh, and so one week later, I was handing off all my clients to other people, selling assets and getting rid of my business entirely uh, to run 2%. Uh, epic pay cut intentionally. Um, the nonprofit world, you, you can become quite wealthy, I guess, in some corners of it, but that's not the world I live in. So, um, <laughs> and not why I got into it, you know? So, um, yeah, a week later, I was, it was, it was the week of the, uh, uh, solar eclipse, uh, the big one in 2017. Uh, so end of 2017 is when this all transpired. And, then I was suddenly running a startup organization that was barely a year old with five business members and about 80 individual members. Um, yeah, I was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think your number, you're like number 50 something. Um, you're in, you're in the first hundred. Um, I was, I was pleased to find out I was member number seven. That was, that was kind of exciting. Uh, but, uh, yeah. It, and, and from there, uh, very quickly we, we uh, set about trying to make getting certified as simple as possible. Coming from the business world and not the outdoor industry business world, because the outdoor industry business world, there is some nepotism, you know, so-and-so hires so-and-so's cousin and stuff. There's a lot of relationship stuff around a business. There's a lot of leeway um, with things. I come from a very blue collar background. My dad is a plumber in northern Wisconsin. I grew up in northern Wisconsin hunting and fishing up there. Um, muskie is the best fish. I will fight about that. Um, and, you know, my background was, was all, you know, you work until, until the job's done. And then if, you know, hopefully you make it home for dinner in time, you might get called out in the middle of the night to go work some more if someone's boiler blows up or something. Um, very blue collar understanding that people have businesses to run. So that's where we set about simplifying uh, the certification. So some folks may have heard podcasts where we talk about, hey, you have to show us proof from years past. That was one of the first things we set about making sure we could legally change that for your first year, we could help you along the way. Uh, the next thing we did was we simplified our dues, made it cheaper uh, for folks because within the outdoor industry, yeah, big businesses are used to giving a lot of money to conservation groups. Outside of that, your average electrician is not, um, unless it's at a banquet or something like that, and they've had one or 20 uh, drinks. So we sat around those things, and then with our individual membership, making things pretty obviously attainable, you know, that 1% of your time, 21 hours is hittable. You could go out, uh, like right now we have our Tines and Trash initiative, even though a lot of people are under quarantine and locked down in urban areas, uh, in rural communities, you're still allowed to go out hiking in, in, in many states, uh, most states, uh, and almost all of Canada. So we have this initiative going on that Dan Johnson started when he was on Mark Kenyon's Wired to Hunt podcast of go out when you're collecting, uh, you know, antlers, 
pick up trash too, and then post that you did it to encourage more people to pick up trash when they go out. Little things like that, wanting to show folks just how easy it is to be involved. Uh, odds are, I'm, I'm assuming your listeners are already have have some inkling of how they want to be involved in conservation, but we're always trying to find new ways for folks to engage because as humans, especially going through something like this, there is a need to give. Like my my wife lost her job over this and we still feel a need to give in some way. So helping folks do that is a big part of what we do to help accomplish our mission. Well, that, that's amazing, Jared, and it's terrific that even um, with what your family is going through here, that, that you're looking to give back. And the only contentious point that you made that I'll challenge um, is the supremacy of the muskie. Oh, no. Because, no. because... Pike are easy, man. They're easy. <laughs> where, where my family comes from in northern Michigan and our cabin, probably just north of you in the upper peninsula, it's all about northern pike because we like to catch fish once in a while. And that's the oh. only thing I'll say for the northern pike. <laughs> well, you got to learn how to catch muskie. Uh, tell you what, well, I'll, 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 I'll split the difference here. I, there is a place where if you don't catch a muskie, it's your own fault that I can take you to the next time I'm in the Midwest. And then we'll see how you feel. Well, at least after, we agree on the east after side that. of Venus. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, similar to like what, what, what you're doing, where you're still giving back, even though you're getting a little bit of a hit, um, some of the 2% companies are, are, are doing the same, um, you, you've told yeah. me, off air. Um, tell me about that because I know a lot of companies are, are struggling. Um, we know this going on. Some, some, there, there are layoffs happening. People are, um, people are in a tough economic spot and, and there's definitely some companies that are looking to pull back, but amongst 2% members, you haven't seen that as much. We really haven't. You know, they might not be given way above and beyond. Um, you know, like this time of year is typically banquet season, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get into at some point. But, you know, they're, they're getting like this time of year, they'd normally be getting last minute phone calls of, hey, our banquet is in three days. Could you rush ship this stuff? And a lot of them do, even though we've been trying to work with the orgs to train their people to not demand that of businesses, because uh, it's way too often a, a one way street of, of generosity. Um, even though they don't have that going on, many are, are going about uh, giving in, in finding unique ways to give during this time. So like Seek Outside, they converted over uh, at least three of their, their manufacturing sewers there because they, they build everything here in the U.S. and in, in Colorado. They pivoted three of them over full time to making masks. Mm. Um, there's, there's a couple other businesses that had quite a bit of money and I, I have to be careful who I mention here because there is stuff behind, behind contracts where we're fortunate to know about it because we can help them uh, in these contracts. But there are some who have these very extensive, very expensive as well, contracts with conservation groups to support their events. And all those events are canceled. And these businesses, they're not getting the press out of it that they would have gotten. They're not getting the social media. They're not getting any of the stuff on the marketing end that so often is a part of sponsoring something and they're not asking for their money back. And we're, we're talking 
combined, almost a million dollars that 2% brands are leaving on the table, um, specifically around canceled banquets right now. And that was without us asking them not to. Um, That's amazing because it's, it's so necessary right now. And maybe people don't understand how much conservation organizations um, rely upon businesses, not just for those kind of free, um, you know, raffle items at banquets, but for the support in getting the word out and the mission support and accomplishing the mission and showing that economic, um, that economic reasoning and need behind conservation um, issues. And and so um, it's the support of the business community for conservation. You know, I mentioned it earlier. It was the support of um, the business community and firearms uh, manufacturers and ammunition manufacturers back in 1937 that were part of that coalition and part of the leadership of that coalition to pass Pittman-Robertson. And so really from the, the beginning of the conservation movement in America, it's been a collaboration and a partnership between um, agencies and NGOs and businesses. And that's yeah. kind of like a three-part stool that you can't, you can't have the same conservation victories without all three of those uh, firing on, on all cylinders. The... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Here in the States, that's the case. Um, we have some substantial membership, including business members now uh, uh, up in Canada. And they don't have Pittman Robertson. They don't have a history of that. They don't have a history of, you know, any, any of those kind of tax programs. They have a few that are more regional or very species specific. You kind of have to be going way out of your way to be participating in them um, on, a, on a national level. Uh, but they don't have, the, the, there's nothing that looks like what we have. Um, in some places like British Columbia, where it's the only place on earth with four subspecies of bighorn sheep, um, or, or I, some people are going to be like bighorn, there's thin horns. Um, you know, they've got doll sheep, stone sheep, uh, Rocky mountain bighorn and, and California bighorn. Um, and the bulk of those dollars to manage those sheep in that entire province, they don't come from the ministry. Uh, which is what they call departments uh, in many cases up there. Okay. A huge chunk of them come from individual donations at events like wild sheep societies, banquets and stuff. Um, They come, you know, those helicopter hours, the vaccinations, the blood sampling, all this stuff. They've been doing this the entire time we've had Pittman Robertson and stuff. Businesses and individuals have been supporting conservation up there as just the status quo. And pretty well. I mean, obviously, they, there's a lot of areas for if, if, if I were to say that up there. I did speak at an event up there this last summer. It was really weird to speak to a crowd that does not have Pittman Robertson in their background. Hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, talking to hunters about individual responsibility when they've been doing that. <laughs> well, for, yeah, we know. You know, we know. Ever, they're like, yeah, we, we've, we've been doing it, dude. Um, <laughs> so I, I made sure not to make that mistake uh, rolling in there. Uh, but you know, to talk to those folks, we've got committee members, business members, individual members up there. Um, and for them, events are something that have been huge uh, as, as fundraising things. 
Um, but now they're starting to adapt a little bit to online opportunities, which has been really good to see uh, as the overhead is much, much lower. Um, but overall, um, the dependency on events for conservation funding around the world is being laid bare <laughs> right now uh, by the cancellations. And, and actually, um, Andrew McKean had a series in Outdoor Life yes. examining yes. it even before this uh, COVID-19 um, lockdown and, mm-hmm. and quarantine hit. Um, he was already exploring kind of some of the issues with that reliance upon banquets and events and local volunteers like that. Um, but that's probably a good time to get into what's happening right now to conservation funding um, as a result of banquet season basically being canceled in lots of parts around the country that that generate this this private conservation revenue um what first of all what what happens with that revenue normally um you know that that goes into the, the to the organizations through these banquets how does that get leveraged by state agencies, and then what's happening now with that loss? Because 2% for conservation is actually looking into documenting that. Oh, we're, yeah, it's uh, burning the midnight oil documenting that right now. Um, well, I'll, I'll first back up and say, you know, the two, two main sources of funding for conservation orgs are typically events and grants. As far if you were to you know look at the pie, the two biggest pieces of the pie, you know across across the board in the U.S. and Canada and Mexico and Europe um, are events and grants. Um, and uh, looking at a potential recession this year, we we already were you know an election year typically gets a little weird, and the year after it gets even more weird. So with our larger business members, we are looking at pivoting them over to something like a grant program get them to build out grant programs so that they could protect some of uh, the funding that they would give to conservation through a recession. Uh, And Sitka was the one that we were able to get through that. And they're able to allocate enough, uh, a significant, I got to remember what I'm allowed to share, but it's a specific, it's it's a very large amount of money (laughs) that they can allocate annually to conservation efforts that are dedicated specifically to that. And there are plenty of family foundations in, in our individual membership and whatnot that participate in that as well. The bulk of conservation groups, however, are built on an event funding model where you rent out a space, hopefully you can get it for as cheap as possible, and then you raise as much dollars as you can. And you do this, the, the, the fundraising that you know you can do is somewhat based on what the state gives you in a lot of cases in the form of tag allotments. Like out here in the West, almost every single banquet you go to, doesn't matter the species, there is going to be a special tag from either a state or a tribe or someone um, for you to be able to hunt something special that no one else gets to, but you're going to pay, you know, four, five, six figures for it um, at that's, an auction, at an event. That, that's interesting just because uh, coming from Michigan, that's not really the model here in the, in the Midwest. Right. Yeah, in the, Midwest, in the Midwest, generally um, you're going to go to a banquet, have a, have a meal, have a great time, um, but you're going to be entered to win um, – a whole lot of uh, firearms that are up there and, and that tends whole to be a whole pile of firearms. Yeah. Yep. 
Yep. yep, and even the fishing ones probably still going to enter for a bunch of fire. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it's amazing to see the <laughs> you know fishing organization banquets and then the firearms that they advertise that you can win yeah. at the banquet. And I'm like, you know, um, as an angler, you know, I hunt too, but as an angler, you know, I'm, that's not the first thing that would pop to mind. But that's the draw. Tell me again, as a really as a musky fisherman, why I need a six point five Creedmoor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But a lot of these events, yeah, yeah, they've got, there's these prizes, you know, and there's, there's some stipulation on a certain amount of people that you're going to have there. But what's done with these dollars then, in many, many, many cases, obviously there are rare exceptions, but most cases, these orgs raise this money and then it, it goes to be used with the state, whatever. So like here in Montana, let's say you have a banquet around wild sheep. You have the dollars raised, and it's, it's agreed upon between the state and the org that this chunk of dollars will go and match these dollars from the state, that those dollars that the state have are also coming from the Pittman-Robertson uh, dollars from the Fed. They match them together, and that's how they go and pay for a project. That project doesn't happen unless you have those banquet dollars. Because the state is only bringing up like half or two thirds or something like that, which again, the majority they're pulling from Pittman, Robertson, Dingle Johnson. I, on the coast, I know there's also the sloop taxes and stuff like that. Um, so looking at that, if you don't have the event, okay, that $30,000 that the state was prepared to have to go and do that project ain't there. Now let's take that and multiply it across all the canceled events that have canceled or postponed because the postponement ones, we don't know if they're still happening. We don't know how long some estimates are saying 18 months, <laughs> you know, uh, before everything opens up depending on the region. So, you know, when, when venues will be allowed to have 300 people in a room again is yet to be seen. So let's take all those events between now and whenever that is, what's the dollar amount when the average is $30,000 to $55,000? We have like our Elk Foundation banquet that happens here in Bozeman, which by the way, Bozeman's like 60,000 people once you combine the smaller towns around it. Um, you know, if we take all the college students out from our MSU, not your MSU, um, it knocks it down another several thousand we're a small town and we bring in over $250,000 a year in that banquet. Those dollars go directly to projects here in Montana that the state matches for elk and depends on for elk. A lot of the research work being done for brucellosis, land acquisitions, public access areas, um, easements and whatnot to be able to get out hunting. Well, guess what? That event has been postponed. Now, I just got the email. It's going to be uh, in August, hopefully. Um, but that one's not happening. And there were another dozen banquets just within that org here in Montana. I've been talking to conservation orgs at the national and state level across the U.S. and, well, and I should say provincial and district um, in territory, um, if we include Canada and whatnot, and we're looking at stupid numbers. I, I mean, numbers that sound fake. Um, when we talk about how many dollars are being missed 
from these events this year and what dollars will not come in to be used for these projects or will have to be shuffled around by state budgets that have already been written for the most part for 2021. Um, we're not going to see it so much in 2020 because the dollars raised this year would be used next year and in 2022. Uh, but in 2021, I mean, roughly a third to almost a half of all dollars that go to conservation work in the United States, period, aren't coming in. That's, Which that's, that's sobering when, when you understand what those organizations do on the ground. Um, here in Michigan, um, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and, and the banquets that it hosts is, what they'll do is they'll buy public land, um, you know, or private land that maybe is attached to public land, and they'll buy it and hold it and then turn it over to the state. Yep to become public land in the elk range. And without their ability to do that, that would stay on the open market. You would have less elk habitat in, in Northern Michigan. That's just in the forest where I hunt and where I'm, I'm familiar with. And I know that that happens with different organizations for different species across the country with every one of these chapters um, that happens. Um, with, and with this loss of conservation funding, what, what can individuals do let's say an individual is listening to this, they would normally go to that spring banquet that's been canceled. Um, what can they do, assuming that they're still in a financial position where they, where they can help? Um, what can yeah. they do to help mitigate that? What, what are you hearing? So one of the first things, um, one of the, the first areas we thought about, and this, this again goes back to, you know, my background, many of our board members' background, like yourself, knowing what these dollars mean, knowing how efficient, the efficiently, like you want to look at how, at, at what government should be like as far as efficiency when dollars go in uh, for conservation. It is so much, your, your image of how dollars get wasted and stuff with, with government, pair that way down to what you wish government was like. That's, that's how they're generally used. Obviously there's some weird, uh, my uncle said one time, you know, kind of examples, <laughs> but for the most part, mostly very, very efficient. Like it's, like it's, it's land and it's shovels and it's, it's actual trees. Uh, it's gas for helicopters, yeah, gas you know, helicopters. It's, it's paying somebody to go out and mark trees for a cut. Um, I mean, it's, it's very direct to the work that goes on the ground. Right. And, and it's, the work being done is by people who are only qualified to do it because they've been doing it for like a decade mm. or more. So if they're not able to be paid to go, we also lose all this knowledge too. So that to the side, obviously we have to try to do something. No matter who we are, we're looking at a really serious wildlife problem and a hunting opportunity problem, fishing opportunity problem. Um, around this. If you look at some of the states that have already closed down their access sites, a big part of it was they did not have money budgeted to do uh, management of people out there. A mm. huge chunk of conservation dollars are actually managing people because let's face it, there are way too many of us. Uh, and in most places, you know, there, there's some, uh, you're, you're more competing with people uh, than you are with the natural uh, forces, you know, with the exception about here where, you know, you are fighting against the mountain, which by the way, you will lose. But, um, it, you know, in the Midwest, on the, on the coast, you, you're, you're having to manage people. So all that funding's gone. All right, what do we do? As an individual, here's the first thing we ask folks to do. 
if you were registered to go to a banquet, meaning you bought a ticket to go, don't ask for a refund. These orgs are having to cover all these costs of vendors, of rescheduling. Now, some states have retroactively sent out, hey, you can't charge extra for rescheduling and, you know, the stimulus for the venues and stuff. Uh, but most haven't. So orgs are sitting there. Uh, there's one in Wyoming I know of that is backwards 20 grand right now. Mm. And it's their only fundraiser all year. They have no employees, but they help facilitate for one species over 80% of the dollars that go towards that species that aren't from a tax. And it comes from their series of events. They're actually looking at bankruptcy because of not being able to cover venue vendor. And the one that pisses me off more than the rest is, is speakers who were canceled. Um, you know, Instagram personalities that charge 12 grand, 20 grand to show up to talk for an hour. Um, yeah, it's real. Um, that, 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 that gets, that gets the hair on the back of my neck standing up a bit. Um, but they're being told, Hey, you still got to pay us even though you, you canceled or moved or you have to pay us half of it. So as an individual, you're not going to be able to throw pressure on those venues and stuff. And obviously those people got folks to feed too. Um, so what you can do if you were planning to go to event, to an event that 35 bucks to 80 bucks, whatever it was to get in the door, don't ask for a refund. Um, if you know of an event in your area that you had intended to go to, hadn't bought a ticket to yet, but you know, you had budgeted, you had planned, Hey, I was going to go consider giving their general fund. And this is important. Their general fund that allows them to do with it as they wish, uh, or as they need to give that amount to them it, between, you know, 35 to 80 bucks, whatever it was. You could also do that in the form of a membership. Most orgs, their membership fee is in there uh, if you want to do it that way. Um, but that's a bare minimum thing that if we had all the attendees do that, what it would actually do is cover the base cost of the venues, the drink vendors, and the food vendors. It's not going to cover the speakers or the entertainment. That's typically figured into the raffle and auction dollars that they, they presumed that they would get at the event. But if you do not ask for a refund or if you send in a donation equivalent to what your ticket to get in would have been, you'll actually help those organizations cover those costs so they're not in the red. You know, and I'm, I'm going to throw one more on, on you just from what I know from working for our Michigan affiliate for a long time is we would get a lot of our renewal memberships at mm -hmm. the sport shows. And at least here in Michigan, a lot of those sport shows happen in late February throughout the month, month of March. A few of the February ones occurred, um, but a lot of the sport shows where, you know, the different conservation organizations will have a booth and where people will go there every year and, you know, they'll go to that sport show in March every year at the same venue. And every year that's where they'll renew their membership to that conservation organization. Um, so I'm going to throw this out there too. Even if you don't normally go to the banquets, if you normally go to that sport show, um, you know, and tour all the booths and you stop by the conservation organization booth every year. And that's when you renew your membership, um, go and do that online. So go to that organization's website and renew your membership, just like you would have at the sports show, do it online. And, and at least they're not losing your membership dollars that way as well. Well, and a lot of organizations canceled their direct mail or, or uh, paid email marketing around membership renewals because they're trying to 
cut costs to save save dollars to try to fulfill their obligations, both to their staff and and to the uh, to the states that they're working in. For folks who have you know, so those those are bare minimum things, right? That you know, even even in our scenario, like uh, you know, my wife losing her job with this, which is a you know a good chunk of our income, uh, we still re-upped with Montana Wildlife Federation during this. Our our re-up time was right now. Uh, it wasn't around a banquet or anything. It's just this is when we signed up, like eight years ago or something like that. Um, and so we you know we did that. That's bare minimum. For those who are able to do more. Uh, and we did some surveying and we've been keeping our eyes on the stats as far as people who have actually lost income. And it seems to be about 54% uh, across the U.S. and Canada combined. Uh, 54% have seen a drop in income, um, at least out of those who are in the conservation membership space. Um, if you're on the side of the 46 that have not seen a change and have the means, consider donating to the group what you would have spent at that event or to go to that event. So if you're the kind of person who books a hotel for the event, because you know you're going to tie the tie the bag on. Uh, I'm originally, again, from northern Wisconsin. You know, the, the, the towns I grew up in, I, I, I lived in winter for a while, but my family's from Rhinelander. You know, it's church, bar, church, bar, church, bar. Well, sorry, tavern, church, tavern, church, tavern, church, tavern, you know, uh, and meat raffles and all that stuff. Um, you know, if, if you were the kind of person who booked a hotel and you were going to drive two or three hours to get there, look at what your gas would have been. Look at what your hotel would have been. Look at what you would have spent on drinks while you were there. Many of these orgs, they have to hit a drink coverage minimum or they, you know, they pay 2,500 bucks. And, you know, if, if people buy more than that equivalent in alcohol, they get that money back. Um, they're not getting that now. Um, look at what you would have spent there and consider donating that to the org. If, if you're in a person who has that means, those kind of donations right now will do so, so much for these groups because the bulk of these groups are ran by volunteers. The, the vast majority of these chapters of organizations, they're people just like you. You know, they they have a normal job with within our committee program, which, again, are volunteer leaders that we've tapped as vetted places to send businesses and individuals who are looking to give back. Almost half of them work in the medical field. Which is kind of nuts. Um, and so I start when that when when we brought on all these folks into our committee program and I saw that I started reaching out to different conservation groups, those who keep track of what their members do and what their leadership uh, their volunteer leaders do for work, a huge chunk of them are medical field um, because they have the flexibility of hours. Well, right now they don't, and they're dealing with canceled events, and they're dealing with organizational bylaws that might say, if you're backwards on your books, guess who has to pay for it? The titled volunteers. So you can be helping some people in some epic, epic ways. If you have the means to give what you would have spent to go to the event, your, the good you will do is worth so much more than any other year uh, by doing that right now. And so what we're encouraging folks to do is when you do this giving back, when you decide, hey, I'm not going to ask for a refund, when you decide, hey, I planned on going to these events, so I'm going to sign up for these memberships, share it on social media and use the hashtag help the events. Use that hashtag to encourage others to do the same as you. 
you know, we're not asking folks to give when they have no money. We're, we're asking folks, hey, where, where you have it, if you care about this thing, it's, it's got some real serious real world ramifications, um, giving back or not during this time. Those are, those are terrific uh, suggestions. Um, if folks want to want to know where they can find the organizations uh, to support if, if they don't already, and especially where they can find those companies that are doing this and giving back and helping these organizations and not asking for their donations back uh, to help the conservation organizations. The, the companies going above and beyond, where can they find those and more information about 2% for conservation? We have a super simple URL. It's fishandwildlife.org. You got to make sure you have the word and in there. Otherwise, you end up at the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agency employees. Um, so don't, if you, if you end up there, you went to the wrong place. Uh, otherwise, you could just Google 2%. We show up real easily on social media. We're pretty easy to find. We are not on Twitter. That is a den of thieves as far as we're concerned, <laughs> you know, as far as we're concerned. But um, we, we like to spend our time talking to folks in the real world as much as possible. But we, we do use social to, to get people rallied on stuff. So they can find us easily on Instagram, Facebook. Um, we're starting to put out a little more content on YouTube, but otherwise Googling us, that'll pull up our website. And on there, uh, you'll see a certified brands tab. Um, and actually we are doing a website overhaul during this time. <laughs> so, uh, it'll actually be much easier to use the website here in about a week. Um, but uh, you'll see certified brands there right now. They're not super sortable. It's a bunch of logos. Again, we are a startup. So this is a growing pains kind of thing. We thought it wouldn't grow as quickly as it has. And we're having to shuffle things around. But fishandwildlife.org, uh, you can look at certified brands on there. And then on the Get Connected tab uh, or the committee program, if you look for that, uh, you'll see a map. And it has, it's not fully current. There's nine more committee members we got to get up on the website. We onboard them at about three a month right now, which is pretty fast considering the aggressive vetting we put them through. Um, Having but, been through that, I can attest to that. Yeah, because you were a committee member before you were a board member. Um, yeah, we do some, like, there's one guy from West Virginia, the poor guy, I can't get a hold of one of his his contacts. And so he's still holding on. But uh, uh, anyway, you can get in touch with uh, different folks in your area on there if you're looking for a way to give back. And we do have some open areas like the Southwest. We only have, we got uh, 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 Jonathan Rondo in Southern California. He's going to uh, Cal Poly um, doing work with uh, local uh, fishing access sites. But you don't hit another committee member until you get to Texas or Oklahoma uh, if you start heading east. So if there are folks who are interested in and um, would like to be considered to be a part of that program, um, we'd love to hear from you as well. If you see a big vacant area around where you live and you are actively engaged in conservation and are the kind of person that a business should talk to uh, when they want to give back to a region, uh, please get a hold of us. We'd love to have you involved. Well, and I'd like to give a shout out too to two of the companies um, that, that are certified with you 
that uh, support the National Wildlife Federation and, and our work with hunters and anglers as well. So I already mentioned First Light. Um, you can donate to the National Wildlife Federation through First Light's Roundup for Conservation program when you check out and order something online. And also Hunt to Eat. Hunt to Eat helps support our non-lead initiative, our Hunt Clean initiative, encouraging on a voluntary basis hunters and anglers to use non-lead alternatives. Um, not only that, but if you are a business and you are already um, supporting conservation or you know that you're going to be able to and in, in, in do that, if you're not already certified, go to that website and look into getting certified yourself because what that will allow you to do is stand out from other businesses uh, to show that you do support conservation, especially in this time when it's so sorely needed. Um, any final words, Jared, before we sign off? Yeah, uh, just just to back that up, um, for an individual, it's super easy. You can fill it out. It is kind of honor system. You'll get Lyme's disease and Rocky Mountain spotted fever if you lie about it. Um, but it's uh, you just hit on individual certification. You could do that in about five minutes. Um, we won't spam you. Uh, the only email content we send out is positive. It's meant to give you something to act on. Um, if you notice our social media following, we're still under 10,000 followers. Well, that's because we, the algorithm doesn't like just positive content. They want people to fight and we don't do that. Um, we try to give people things to do and ways to act. So for individuals, that's super quick and easy on right on the website for businesses. Uh, you just fill out a form on the business certification that kind of gives us an idea of what your business is about. And then we hop on the phone with you and, and get the process started. It's super painless. Uh, and I will say during this, we've actually had multiple businesses get certified within the last couple of weeks. Uh, Argali just came on. Folks might be familiar with their ultralight uh, hunting stuff. Uh, Argali came on. We had uh, a t-shirt company come on. We actually have a Scottish company in process of getting certified, which would be the first, I guess now we can't say European Union, but European company. So just because this is going on, again, 1% of time and 1% of dollars is not a huge amount. Um, and will help you over the course of the year in giving back. The percentage scales with your business. So whether you're in a year of growth or decline, there are ways, and it doesn't have to be just cash, don cash donations to orgs. It could be donation of your services. It could be anywhere, you know, e even your facilities. If you give them a place to meet when all the breweries are closed, or if you provide, um, you know, a, a way for them to, to use your resources in some way during this time, we count all of that. So um, get in touch with us. We'd love to get you involved. And again, that's fishandwildlife.org. Well, thank you for coming on the National Wildlife Federation Outdoors podcast, Jared. It's uh, been an informative uh, conversation, especially, um, you know, what, what I hope people take away from this is, is all the things that we just left behind, but especially understand that conservation dollars are short right now. Uh, they're hurting. Fish and wildlife need them. Conservation organizations need them. Uh, so please do what you can. And and I'm not even going to say, uh, you know, go, go give that to National Wildlife Federation. Um, Go give that to the state affiliates doing the work in, in your state um, if, if you have to make that choice. Um, this has been the National Wildlife Federation Outdoors Podcast. It is supported by Rep Your Water, which uh, donates 3% of their uh, funds to conservation. You can find their uh, information at www.repyourwater.com. You can follow us at National Wildlife Federation Outdoors 
on Instagram, Facebook. We are on Twitter um, and uh, Vimeo. <laughs> and we'll be uh, releasing uh, this week, actually, the Northwoods Unleaded film that we filmed uh, up in the Western UP, just north of where Jared's from, uh, about a, a group of folks from multiple different conservation organizations because it is not a competition. Uh, having fun hunting and fishing with non-lead alternatives. You can find that at our Vimeo channel as well as on our Facebook page. Those are all under the handle at NWF Outdoors. This has been the National Wildlife Federation Outdoors Podcast, and I'm your host, Drew Youngdike.